Okay, last week we took a break and we saw from Ephesians and we had Regan here from Community Bible Church who preached for us from Ephesians. And this week we are back in the book of Nehemiah. We are in Nehemiah chapter 12 this week and we continue from where we stopped. Um, I'm not going to give the whole background of the book since we already know that. But we look at Nehemiah chapter 12. In Nehemiah chapter 11 we saw a long list of names and again over here in Nehemiah chapter 12, there are a lot of names in between as well, which we couldn't have skipped. Uh, some of which we could have, but uh, some of them it was hard to skip. And therefore, um, we had Jean read out those hard, long names for us. But between all of that, <clears throat> there is something happening. And that is where we need to draw our attention. If you notice from the songs that we sing, it is always connected to the main theme of the sermon. And therefore, uh, uh, the main theme of the passage today is to praise, rejoice, and thank God for his goodness to us in Christ Jesus. To praise, rejoice, and thank God for his goodness to us in Christ Jesus. And the first point that we can see is that we need to remember those who walked before us. All the verses, verses 1 to 26, is a list of people that they talk about and those who walked before them and the generations of Levites and priests before them. We have here the names of little more than of great many priests and Levites who are well known amongst their day and they've returned back. Why the names over there, we do not know because the author Nehemiah does not tell us over here in this text why he's added their names or for what reason he's counting them again over here. However, what we know is that God used them in the nation of Israel and therefore it could be that is why their names are there. It could also be that they are there because God wants us to remember people who walked before us faithfully so that we might walk in the same manner. The psalmist reminds us in Psalms 112 verse 6, the righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. Who are the righteous? God's people. The psalmist says they will be in everlasting remembrance. It is therefore good that we remember those who paved the way of God before us, who paved the way of truth into our nation, into our lives. The one of the sad part of Christianity is that we've lost touch with anything to do with church history or anything to do with the past. All we know is something just new now which has begun. Sadly, a lot of the Christianity that's followed across the world, especially here in India, is a lot very connected to the 20th century. It looks nothing like biblical Christianity. The reason is because they've not remembered people who walked faithfully before them. They have failed to recognize people who have been faithful to the truths of God's word. And so we should remember as well that we should remember people who walked before us faithfully to the truths of God's word. Remember people who brought us the truths of God's word. Maybe it was your mother or maybe it was a pastor or maybe someone who is close to you, discipled you, walked with you. But remember and thank God for those people who God has placed in your lives 
through whom the word of God is proclaimed to you. That's why in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews also reminds us, he says in Hebrews 13 verse 7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. One of the reasons why the names would be listed over here could be that all the other Levites who come after them look before them to other Levites and priests who walked faithfully to the Lord, who held the truths of God's word closely, and therefore they also would imitate their faith. In Christ Jesus, now we don't have a difference between priesthood and laity, that is, Laity is the normal people sitting, priests are the people who, who represent God to the people. We don't have that difference because in Christ Jesus, all of you, as Peter says, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And therefore, all of us must remember people who walked before us, be it pastors or leaders or parents or whoever they are, but remember the truths of God's word that they bring to us and to imitate their faith and to look at the outcome of their lives. Oftentimes you would look people around you in the church and you might see people and you might see a lot of their shortcomings. Don't imitate that. Oftentimes this is how we think. Well, I see this brother, he also misses Wednesday meeting. I see this sister, they also meet. And they are supposed to be so strong in God. So if they can miss, I also can miss. Don't imitate that. Imitate the good in people that they show about Christ. About all these other shortcomings, let it be. Look to Christ. I would say same, similarly of myself. I am a fallen sinner. There are many shortcomings in me. And therefore, when you look at me, do not imitate my shortcomings. But by God's grace, because of people who walk faithfully before me, there are ways in which I would, you can see God's transformation in my heart. And I would say, imitate me in that way. Now you might think this is wrong, this is boastful. Paul also says, as a pastor, he says, imitate me as I've imitated those who walk before us. It should be, a pastor should be able to say actually, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And therefore, over here you can see a long list of people who walked faithfully for the truths of the gospel. And therefore, as you look at their lives, and as you look into your own lives, and you've seen people before you who walked faithfully, imitate them, even if there's just one person, imitate them. In all the good, not the bad, in all the good, and walked faithfully. Which also shows them that they are not only to imitate their faithfulness, but imitate their courage, their love for God, their zeal, and in how they also alter the living of their lives, how they live their lives, where they put their priorities. Look at that. Look at your parents, people who walked before you. Look at older women, that's why in the Bible says older women train younger women. Look at older women in the church who walked before you. And so when as young men and as young women, if 
things like motherhood or things like work seems a burden or even marriage seems a burden for you, ask older women in the church, how did you take care of that? How did you do this at your time? Now what the world will tell you is that that wo zamana alag tha, ye zamana alag hai. Brothers and sisters, there is no such thing. In that zamana, people didn't have trains. So if you try to compare, you, you will actually make a fool of yourself. So don't do that. But rather learn from those God sent before you. Now we can be something else. We can think that we know it all. I know it. I can just Google and I know my stuff. I don't need to ask anyone. If that is our thought, then that is pride speaking in our hearts. Because a prideful man, a prideful woman will not want to learn from anyone. The moment a Christian thinks he or she is arrived, you're finished. There is no journey ahead of you left. You will never grow spiritually the moment you think you already know everything. The best Christian is that who knows that he is on a journey and the perfectness or the fullness or the end of that journey is never going to be here on earth. That perfectness, that fullness, that fulfillment of that journey is only going to be in eternity. And so he or she will constantly see other brothers and sisters around them who walk before them, who do things better than them and learn from them and ask them. You know, one of the best helpful way for me to grow as a pastor is to ask faithful, godly pastors in the city and in the country and sometimes even abroad. But to ask good questions and to even look at their lives or even to be with their families and say, hey, brother, how do you do this? How do you live this out? Or how do you handle this situation? Asking those kind of questions are helpful. So when, when you don't have someone to model and you ask others around you, ask them for help, if someone did not model to you what it looks to be like a godly father, what it looks to be like a godly mother, ask those around you. Learn from those around you, those who had people to model for them. If you do that, God would use that as a sanctification process to mold you to become more like Christ Jesus. That is why we can see we're here a list. Now, I'm not saying that the priests over here were asking each other how to parent each other's children. They could have, they could have not. But that's not the main trace over here. But I'm trying to draw the bigger picture of how we can learn and grow from one another as a church and as people and how to have um, a right understanding of giving value and importance and imitating those who walked before us because that is important. Over here in verse 8 it says of one of the Levites with his brothers was in charge of the songs of thanksgiving. This was entrusted meaning the Levites main role was that they had to sing psalms and thanksgivings and Give praise to God continuously in the temple in a timely manner, in a regular manner. So when one Levite would finish, another Levite would come and replace him. And as we go through this list, what we can also see is from generation after generation, God has preserved the church. God has preserved the nation of Israel. 
One Levite has died and gone, one priest has died and gone, and yet God has sent people after people. The succession of the high priest over here is from the Persian monarchy all the way from Joshua to the time of Jadua, that is Jadis, who was in the time of Alexander the Great, which shows that God has kept his priesthood of his believers through generations after generations after generations and has preserved them. If can God preserve the church in the old covenant, God can preserve the church in the new covenant. And the truth is that he has preserved the church in the new covenant. Uh, Daniel prophesies and foretells about these things in the book of Daniel. I'm not going to get into the details of the prophecy right now. You can go that and find out afterwards. But Jadis over here, the name over there in, uh, in the text is basically the same high priest who welcomed Alexander the Great who went on from a conquest and passed the nation of Israel. When he conquered Tyre and he went there, this is that same high priest who welcomes him. Now, Alexander the Great's name is not there in the Bible. But if you read... Uh, later portions of the uh, uh, some of the uh, writings which are not part of the Bible, you will find stuff in historic things. And but Jadis's name is in the Bible, and you will see how he has welcomed him. And if you look at the prophecy of Daniel and you see its fulfillment, you'll find that there as well. But I want to not get into the nitty gritties of the prophecy. But the main thing is that God has kept His church from one generation after another upholding his people. Which means that the work of God will never fail. The work of God will always go further. God will always raise faithful men. Even if it looks like around you there aren't many, God will make sure one generation after another there will be faithful men who are there who walk for God. Therefore, what can we do? We hope that we are one of those faithful men who walk with God. We hope that we walk faithfully in our lives, in our hearts, in the way we live. Jesus tells the Pharisees, as they ask his disciples to keep silent because they're praising Jesus continuously and talking of his good, and they're saying, ask them to shut up. And in Luke 19.40, this is what he tells. I tell you, and he answered, if they remain silent, even the stones will cry out. If Christians go dead, the stones will cry out of who Jesus is. That's why the first song we sang, all of creation actually sings of his goodness. All of creation is longing for his coming. Some of us here may not be as much longing for his coming, but all of creation longs and waits for the sons of God to be revealed. Who are the sons of God? The church. All of creation is waiting for the church to come to its ripe, fulfilled stage, that the end may come so that the creation will be restored into a better order than what it was created in Eden, that the new Eden would be restored. That's why Jesus says that if you do not speak, the stones will cry out, they will tell you. 
That's why Paul says in Romans that if someone says, well, no one bought the gospel to me, he says, well, oh, you fool, you have no excuse because all around you creation shows about God's greatness and about his goodness. We can also remember a time when Elijah, the prophets of Baal, were there and they have killed everyone. Elijah thinks he's the only one and Elijah is fearful and he says, oh, Lord, all of them are gone. I'm the only one. And God says, no, there's a remnant that I preserved. And Paul speaks about this again in Romans chapter 11, verse 3 to 5. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is, what is God's reply to him? This is Paul asking. I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to Baal. So too at the present time, that is Paul uh, speaking in Romans in their time, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. So too at this time there is a remnant chosen by grace. Sometimes you might look around you and you might think, well, there's a number of people who come to church who are not passionate. Where are the true Christians gone? Where are the passionate ones? Where are the ones who really love the God, Lord, who are living sacrificially for them? Where are they? And if you are in that place, I would say, don't be disheartened. Just like God tells Elijah, just like Paul tells the church in Rome, God through his word is telling us as well, there is a remnant chosen by grace. I don't know if you feel this oftentimes, that oftentimes I feel that like, where is people who really love God? Where are the ones who will follow him, live sacrificially for him? They don't need to be called continuously, being pulled continuously, pushed continuously. Where are those guys and those sisters and those men who live for the Lord, their God, passionately with all their heart, with all their lives? And this word is speaking to me as well when I feel low and when I feel that way. That there is a remnant chosen by grace. You know what that means? If it means that there is a remnant, which means that those are not part of the remnant, it is bad news for them. Judgment is at their door. They will soon see destruction. They will not enjoy the love of God. They will be destroyed with all of the wicked people around them. And so as we see this list of people in the Old Testament, we can see that God has preserved a remnant. Whenever you see a genealogy, remember that God preserves people. And let that encourage you. Don't look at it and say, oh man, such a list of names, I have to read them all again now. Try to see in them, God often has things even within genealogies that he speaks to us. And here in this, God shows us that he will preserve the church. And so I want to encourage you, brother and sister, if you feel disheartened because there's no one to disciple you and you long to be discipled, if you feel there is no one to encourage you and you long to be encouraged, if you feel that you are running on this journey, but you look around, there's just one or two people here or there 
but most people aren't there with you. Be encouraged that, first of all, you pursue others. Don't stop pursuing others. Pursue others and pray that God would awaken their hearts. We never stop doing that. We should never stop doing that. I'm not saying that because God has preserved a remnant, we'll sit back and relax. That's not what I'm saying. That means we need to even more work that these people would be part of the remnant. Till the day we die, we work and live that these people will be part of the remnant. But you may spend all your life and yet some, most of them might reject Christ. That doesn't matter. Find hope that God has preserved the remnant for him and look to him and continue to pray for those around us. And so I'm, this is for us, those who might feel discouraged. Do not be discouraged because God will preserve his church because he's able to preserve his church. And because God has preserved his church, because God preserved the nation of Israel, he brought them back, he allowed them to build the temple, and now what we see in chapter 12 is the beginning of them being able to regularly worship God. The temple was destroyed, the temple is remade now. Now in chapter 12, they can begin to regularly worship God at his temple. And that's where we come to the second point, joyful worship. Verse 27, all the way to verse 47. We saw that the building of the wall was a great deal and all of them trembled and they had a lot of hardships. They had dedicated their times and they had a lot of people coming and trying to threaten them and uh, they went through great deal of pains to build the wall. There was joy, but there was pain, there was hardship and all of it together. And at the end, all of that joy now comes into triumph and joy before God. All of that hardships comes to joy and triumph before God. Like the psalmist says, rightfully, and he reminds us this morning in Psalms 126 verse 5, those who, tears, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Again, that is an encouragement for you, brother and sister, this morning. That if you are laboring for his kingdom and you look around here and you do not see anyone. Now I'm not saying if you're running the opposite direction and you look around you and you say there is no one. So I am yeah, going for Jesus and you're running the other direction which is basically seeking the world. I'm not talking about you because you're going somewhere else. I'm talking about you brother or sister because our self is so deceiving that we can look into our hearts and say oh man it's me. I'm feeling alone, I'm running alone, no one's helping me. And you can actually be pursuing the world, right? Running the opposite direction. So do not be deceived. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about those who pursue Christ and who is journeying so that others pursue Christ. The Lord in his word says, though you sow in tears, though you sow in loneliness, though you sow at times in bitterness, though you do not have people often to feed you spiritually, you shall reap in joy eternally. That is God's promise for us. We must understand that what this dedication of this wall means, 
to the nation of Israel. This dedication of the wall means they're also dedicating the city, which is a thanksgiving for God for what he's done for them. It, today, we are not supposed to dedicate any wall, but God asks us to de dedicate our lives as a worship unto him. It is a solemn thanksgiving to God for what he's done for them and how he has restored them and brought them back over here that they are enabled to give thanks and worship and be with God. The reason the Israelites knew this is because God alone protected them and he alone preserved them and he alone has brought them here. If it wasn't for God, they wouldn't have survived to begin with. Psalms 127 verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. They know that it is the Lord who has built the house. And therefore the house then is being built. The nation of Israel is where it is because God has built it. If I or we see any form of growth in the church, we should rejoice because it is only God who's building it. If we do not see in any form growth in the church, we should be afraid. Because like I said, there are men running in the other direction. We might be amongst people who may be running in the opposite direction. Maybe they know knowledge of the word of God. They know knowledge of the truth. But knowledge is not equivalent to being a Christian. Satan has all knowledge of the word of God. He at once quoted scripture to Jesus. So knowledge of the word alone is not what God wants. But the living out, right doctrine comes with right practice. Right doctrine has to be practiced in the life. Right preaching, practice, right talking, right living. And so if we lay, we love God, we live for him alone. When we look at your life, that's how it should look. That you look mainly for him and not for anyone else. When the Israelites looked and they see, they can see it is only because of God. Here's an encouragement for us. If you look and you're thinking, well, man, we are not doing well maybe as a church or maybe as a Christian. I'm not doing well. This is an encouragement for you. The Israelites didn't deserve it. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. It was surely God's grace because of why they got what they got. Just backtrack a few chapters since we've been studying this book of Nehemiah. Before, they've thanked God, they've prayed, they worshipped God. Remember their repentance some uh, three, about three Sundays back? Why were they doing that? Because they were sinful, they kept rejecting God generation after generation. Yes, God was faithful. See, this remnant, this faithfulness is because of God's faithfulness even here. Like we read from the Catechism. Producing in them men who responded back to God and lived to God. And the Bible says one can slay a thousand, ten, ten thousand. It is not literally in only the physical sense. It is more in the spiritual sense. That God can use one man of God for the glory of his kingdom for many's life. And so what they did was in their rejoicing triumph, 
they worship God and they pass through the city. And what Jean was reading to us, which might have seemed confusing with all the gates, is basically these two choirs praising God and they're going through the nation, uh, the city of Jerusalem. They're going through all the gates and singing to God about his goodness and how he's allowed them to worship God. And what you can see over there is a list of instruments that they have as they worship God. And what they sang will be songs of psalms. And that is why I, we, I often want us to sing psalms in worship. And it is good that we sing the psalms. And we also sing the word of God. That is why we try to make sure our lyrics are according to the word of God. And not just anything that just awakens our hearts or just feels nice. Songs like, Jesus, I love you. There's no one like you. Only you can do. Well, you can sing that to your girlfriend also. What theological, other than Jesus, I love you, there's no one like you, is there in it? There's nothing. Why do you love him? The song doesn't tell you. Why is there no one like him? The song doesn't tell you. That's why we sing the word of God. And so that's what they did here. Uh, now, what I'm talking about is basically the regulative principle. I can talk to you about it later on. Some of you who've sat for membership know about it. But over here, you see that they are, in, in short, regulative principle means the worship is regulated by the word of God. And they're worshiping God. Now, some people take this to another extreme of legalism and say, well, you shouldn't have instruments when you worship God. You can see clearly that they're worshiping God with instruments. And even later on, we'll see that they're in the temple worshiping God with instruments. As you go through the Old Testament and the New Testament, you can see people worshiping God with their instruments and their loud shouts and giving glory to God. They're not saying which chord they're playing or what tune they're playing, which means instruments is a good accompaniment. It is not the main focus. It helps them, aids them better to worship God. But what I don't want us to miss is the repetition again and again and again and again and again, seven times in this book. If you uh, miss that out for any reason, the words thanks or thanksgiving is repeated seven times in this chapter. This chapter is a thanksgiving for God's faithfulness as he's shown through the priesthood of uh, the, the nation of Israel in generations as he's preserved them, thankfulness for them to be able to restore the temple, thankfulness that they can worship now before him. <coughs> you and I have a greater reason than the nation of Israel to thank God. Do you know what that is? You and I have Christ and the work of the cross, which they looked and longed to wait for. What they were thanking God for was just a shadow of something to come. We have the substance with us. Christ, the anointed one, the king who saved us, who died and rose again and who's brought us eternal life. Oh, how much more should we rejoice that we have this substance, Christ himself. How much more thankful should we be? The word rejoice is repeated four times in this text. Oh, how much more should we not hold ourselves back to worship him. A good question is to ask you, on Wednesday evening, what drives you to come to Bible study? Is it thankfulness? Is it joy? Now, I understand some of you can't join. For your discipleship, what is it that longs for you to do it? 
in your house worship, if you are having worship at house, that is, in your daily devotions with God, what is it that draws you? Is it thankfulness? Is it joy? Is it praise to God? On the Lord's day, what is it that draws you? Is it thankfulness? Is it praise? Is it joy? Is it glory to God? Because if it is not that, then it is just duty during Christian living. And that's not what God wants. Because like we saw all the way from the catechism, we've been reminded that brother, sister, that work, that duty living Christian is worthless. It is like the word actually uses filth, poop, shit. That is how it is. Useless it is. It is nothing. It's of no use. What God wants is joyful hearts following him. How do you get joyful hearts? That would be the question we need to ask. How do I have a joyful heart for God? How can I have a thankful heart that longs to praise God? That, brother and sister, is the work of salvation. At the work of salvation, a heart of your heart is awakened and God gives you a new longing. You will have a new longing. No more your heart will be hard as stone, but your heart will be transformed and when you, there would be a new longing. What is this new longing? Longing for God. Longing for the things of the world? No, longing for God. Way more than all these other things. All the things of the world will look to you as dung. Like Paul says, the word of God would look to you as the only reason to live. If you do not have that, brother and sister, ask God for that longing. If you've never felt that longing, I am sorry to say maybe you are not saved to begin with. Maybe you passed the membership class and you're a member here now. But I am sad to say that maybe you never really had that love for God. Maybe there are hardships in lives that have strained that away. Jesus uses parables after parables just to talk about these things to us in the New Testament. So therefore I would say long to have a joy in your heart seeking God, thanksgiving unto God. If there are false converts or people who are lukewarm or dead who are not Christians living, the church will not reflect that. And therefore I would say that we would need to watch our hearts and ask God, would you awaken my heart that I may have joy for you, O God? We, 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 we are learning, we have all, all the tools that they have We're praying through the Bible. We're learning how to pray that. How do you pray the Bible? Well, we saw here seven times repeated words, thanksgiving. So the Lord, Lord, I pray, give me a thankful heart. Let me not be discouraged by the world. When I see my friends, some or most of them are abroad. They're all doctors. They're citizens in other countries. Easy to be discouraged. I don't care. Oh Lord, would you give me thankfulness? There are times I'm still often look and I do get discouraged. What do I then tell? Lord, give me thankfulness in my heart for what you've given me. Help me to see beyond this. Help me to look for the world to come, not in this world. 
Help me to rejoice in the things that you've given me. This is what we should pray. Brother and sister, if you pray, if you truly seek God, if you truly want him to awaken your heart, there's not a person who God will not awaken whose heart, who wants to be saved. And I pray that we would long and pursue him. And so you can see this great zeal with this uh, nation of Israel as they worship God, as they run through the city and they are praising him and thanking him for what he has done to them and for them. Because they know it is only because of him that they are there. So as we worship God, we too must come with joy and sanctified hearts, knowing that he has saved us from eternal death. You know, they're thanking for, again, like I'm saying, it's a shadow. They've just got a temple built, and now God has brought them back to their country. That's the shadow. What's the substance? The substance is that we are saved from eternal death, and we are promised an eternal home. That's the substance. Everything else is shadow. Anything good you enjoy on earth is not even a shadow. It is worthless. This thing in the old covenant is a shadow. Anything you enjoy here is but dung. That's why Paul says, I count it all as loss. Those who journeyed with us to the book of Acts, right? We finished till Acts 28. This guy is, Acts 28, the end, finished. Paul is gone. They're going to slaughter him. And what is he doing? Spending his time making sure that people know the word of God. Psalms 100 teaches us rightfully how we are to rejoice before God. I've not put it up there, but I will read it fast for us. It's a short psalm. Psalm just got five verses. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come to his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pastures. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and with his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Do you see that fulfilled there in this, in this text? And as the people are worshipping him, maybe they sang Psalm 100 and worshipped him. This should be our worship unto God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, O my heart, Mario. Serve the Lord with gladness every time I feel like I'm, I'm at the end of the road. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come to his presence with singing. It is only the grace of God that enables me to pastor. By my own strength, I am weak. I am incapable. It is only God who sustains me. If he can sustain me, if he can sustain, there are people amongst us whom he sustains, and he can sustain all of us here if we only look and call out to him. Come to his presence with singing. How does it look on a Sunday morning when you come to worship? Oh man, I have to go to this church again. I don't want to go to church. It's boring. The Bible says, come to his presence with singing. We need to ask God, Lord, give me that longing. I want to go. It's better than going anywhere else in the world. Know that the Lord, that he is God. He has made us. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. If you don't know why you need to come to his presence with singing, well, then the psalmist reminds you, O oh soul, know that the Lord your God is God. He's made you. 
You are the sheep of his pasture. That is why he calls you to worship him. Come to his presence then. Worship him. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. You know, oftentimes we are late because this is not how we are coming to church. Everything else is in our mind. That is why people are walking in at 10.45, 10.30, 11 o'clock when worship starts at 10. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever. The outcome of all of this joyous living we see at the end, repeated five times in the start, four times it's repeated, the word give is repeated to do with give thanks. And the last time the word give is repeated to giving things and tithes and money and finances and their life and everything else. Right, right theology, right love for God, right change of heart, right practice. At the end, the Levites, if you can see it towards the end, they all continually kept this, the word about giving and about um, setting apart. That word is used at least four or three times. They set apart their life. We are called to set apart our lives, to set apart, to give to God, to give to his people, for his church. All of that will only fall in place. Right practice will only fall if our hearts is aligned and if there is love for God. If this is not happening, brother and sister, the reason this is not happening is because this is not there. If there's no love for God, there won't be right practice for God. If there is no yearning for God, if there is no joy for God, there is no thankfulness for God, there is no praise for God, there will be no following for God. And I want to bring us back again to the gospel and to remind us right in the start, there is still room for hope. Why? Because it's not your right aligned heart or your right practice through which God accepts you? How does God accept us through the work of Christ and him alone? And like we saw, because of his finished work on the cross, because of his perfect keeping of the law, you know, this is the best case to show why you and I don't make it to be in the list of those who must be saved but it's out of sure grace and the grace of Christ alone. So look to Christ, come to him and ask him for a heart where he may change and give you a longing that longs after him, a love that would love him, a praiseworthy, a thankful heart. Though the world may fade away, though the world may bring in its hardships and trials, Yet you may live in seasons of joy because of the work of the cross. Ask God for that. If there's anything that you want to pray for, if there's any breakthrough you want in your life, that is the breakthrough you might want. That you may love Christ and Christ and Him alone and nothing else. That is the breakthrough that we must ask for ourselves. And would you also pray for others around us in the church, that this whole church would have that kind of heart, 
that we all would love God zealously with our hearts and live according to his word. May that be the prayer of all of us. And I want to again remind us, like I did in the start, everyone who does not do this, judgment will soon come. You will be destroyed. No matter if even if you know all the Bible by heart, you will be destroyed and you will be eternally away from God, separated from him. But if you come to him and if you find hope in him, you will find the steadfast love. You will rejoice in joy and you will praise him forever and ever. Let's join our head and pray. O holy God, righteous and everlasting, the one who is seated above all, whose praise is continuously sang in heaven, whose glory is beyond comparison. Lord, we praise you for you alone deserve all praise and glory and honor. Lord, we want to also confess, Lord, this morning that many of us have not been thankful for who you are. Many of us do not have joy in our hearts towards you. Many of us do not have praise in the lives that we live. Many of us even sadly do not have people to model Christ-like living for us. Lord, would you mold our hearts? Would you long us, long, help us to long for this and to pray and ask God for this? Lord, would you use that to awaken our hearts and would you use that to mold our hearts to become more like Christ? Holy Spirit, would you remove the heart of stone amongst all who are seated here and would you give us a heart of flesh? We especially pray for those who are not saved who might look like they're saved but are not saved. Oh Lord, would you awaken their heart? Would you convict them of sin and righteousness that they may come to you? We pray for those who are in a lukewarm position, who have died or who are staggering, who have stopped in their Christian walk. They came up with a big thud and suddenly the things in life has gotten them all busy and they've made that as an excuse now to say, well, I can just float now and coax around. Oh Lord, would you awaken their hearts that they may turn back to you as their first love. Nothing else here can compare with who you are. Would you give strength, oh God, to our people as well? That Would you give us wisdom to be able to apply this rightfully and to live rightfully for your word? For we often do not have, we lack wisdom. Oh, we thank you, O oh God, that in your word there is wisdom beyond comparison. All the rubies and diamonds and the gold and everything in this world cannot compare the, to the gems of truths that are found in your word. And would we hold on to that and apply it to our lives? Lord, we want to thank you for the finished work of Christ through whom you accept us and through whom you made us children of God. We pray as we go back this week that you would strengthen our hearts and that you would help us to live lives worthy of your calling, all for the glory of your name. And we pray, Lord, that you would preserve this church, build this church, and that, Lord, from this church you would raise up a remnant that will go into the nations, that your people would be redeemed and be called as your children of God. In your name we ask this prayer. Amen.
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than that we can ask or think according to the power that is work in us. To him be the glory to the church in Christ Jesus to all generation. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us and remain upon you. That's all the saints said. Amen. Amen. Thank you.